on his website and hear another interview and a fascinating discussion with him about his poetry ritual here on Kebu's Monday Night Poetry Show, Wider Window Poetry, hosted by Teal Ansari. Just enter Sam's name into Google or on the search box on KBOOFM. Sam's surname is spelled R-O-X-A-S hyphen C-H-U-A. That's Sam Rojas Chua, R-O-X as in Xerox, A-S dash C-H-U-A. This is Barbara Lamorticella, and this is KBOO 90.7 FM in Portland, Oregon, the radio station which has never forgotten either its grassroots or the world. I'll be back on the air on the third Monday in August, August 16th. Mr. and Mrs. Radio Land. I am Eldridge Cleaver, the former Minister of Information of the Black Panther Party. You are listening to KBOO Portland. This is listener-sponsored, non-commercial community radio. I want you to listen to and support KBOO because Portland needs it, you need it, and the world needs it. Ubalagani! Boing, boing. This is KBOO Portland, community radio for the Pacific Northwest. Stay tuned at midnight for self-help radio. Right now, it's the bedtime radio show for grown-ups, Gremlin Time. Well, good evening and welcome to Gremlin Time. This is Fortunato. Tonight, we're going to feature Cornell Woolrich a writer of uh, crime short stories and novels whose work was adapted to many films and many radio programs. We're going to present two of those uh, this evening. First up, from an episode of uh, Suspense, we've got Lucille Ball, and also in the cast is the familiar voice of Hans Conry, as this is uh, Suspense, this long-running CBS radio show, and so we're going to listen to Dime a Dance with Lucille Ball, written by Cornell Woolrich. Have you ever danced with a murder? Doesn't cost any more for the extra thrill. 
only a dime. How could I do it, you say? I had to, to save my own life. I'm a taxi dancer from the Joyland Palace. One of the places just off Broadway in the 40s, you know the kind of place. Second-rate dance bands like Frankie Froman's 15 Frolickers. I was late to work that night. I ran down Broadway, scrambling through the crowd to the entrance of the Joyland. Fifty beautiful girls upstairs, boys. Come in and count them yourself. No admission, ten cents to dance. And then we're just getting started. The music is the very... Hello, Max. Hey, uh, Ginger. You better step on him. Marina's looking for you. You're late. He's burning. I know. it. Is Julie come in yet? Not yet. Fifty beautiful girls waiting to dance. We just step on it. Good evening. So you finally decided to come, did you? Hi, Marino. Sorry, I'm late. Yeah, you ought to be. So did Julie. All the cash customers are waiting. I sent out the girls before all of you are here, and you say I'm playing favorites. Well, blame it on Julie. She gave me a stand-up tonight. All right, so I'll blame it on Julie. Where is she? Isn't she here? No, and she ain't home neither, because I phoned her there 15 minutes ago. I thought she was with you. And I thought she was here. Hey, if this is no gag, what happened to her? Well, that's what I'm beginning to wonder. Then go on in and get your stuff on. Julie be all right. Yeah, maybe she slipped in while you were busy counting tickets or something. See you right away, Marino. We've been entertained by Mom here while waiting for her. All right, lay off. Mom, throw me that foot powder. Looks like a heavy night out there. My feet still hurt from last night. Here you are, dearie. Here you are. That's the way I am, girlie. What I like every once in a while is a good, juicy murder. Nice kid. No, not to be murdered herself. Throw me that dress, would you, Madame Defarge? The green one. Is Julie here? Not unless she's hiding in the closet, honey. Do any of you know where she is? You asking us? Ain't she your buddy? Maybe they had a fight. Well, did any of you hear from her? Why not ask Marino? He's been hanging around her. <laughs> now, that southern girl, Sally, she used to work in a joint like this one further up town. There was a murder for you. Come on, hurry it up in there. She just never showed up to work one night. Who didn't? That southern girl, Sally. Then they found her. That was about three years ago. Oh, what a sight she was when the police discovered the body. Oh, cut it out, Mom. Then there was the Robinson gal out in oh. Brooklyn. They have to death. They found a phonograph and records by a body didn't even belong to her. The murderer brought his own music. Oh, she was a dancehall phony, too. Maybe some guy has it in for you girls. Pleasant character. Well, maybe one fella kills the both of them. It, maybe there's a dance hall killer still at large getting ready for his next victim. Now, what do you think I pay you girls for anyway? I often wonder. Oh, <laughs> Marino, think we're giving a free show in here? Ah, uh, you couldn't interest anybody in that chassis of yours even with a set of dishes thrown in. All right, all of you, file out. I got something to tell Ginger. Uh, come on, get out. Uh, Ginger, what I wanted to see you. I know, I know, Marino. I put you in a spot. I'll be dressed in a minute, and if you'll ward off those garlic eaters tonight, I'll work twice as hard and make it up to you, honest. No, I'm in no spot, Ginger, but you are. Marino, what's the matter? What's happened? The police want to see you, Ginger. Police? What for? I didn't do anything. I'm sorry, Ginger, but... You... Something's happened to Julie. That's what the police want to see you by. Julie's dead. Dead? Murdered. All the way over in that police car with those two flat feet from homicide, I could see Marino's face when he said, murdered. Poor Marino. We got out and walked up to the third floor of the building, to Julie's room. Marino never said a word. All right, sister, in here. Is, is she is she still in there? No, you won't have to look at her. Oh. How did it happen? Strangled. Why didn't she yell out? There were plenty of people around. Now look, Ginger, we're asking the question. Oh. Yeah, but since you raised it, we figured the person who could get close enough to kill her was someone she felt safe with. Yeah, she was murdered by someone she trusted, by a friend. Well, I was the only friend she had. Yeah, so they'd tell us. Unless she had a boyfriend. And who was her boyfriend? Yeah. If she was strangled, where did all the blood come from? Flatfoot didn't answer Marino. He shut up all at once, as if he didn't have the heart to tell us the rest of it. His eyes gave him away, though. I got the whole score just following his gaze around the room. First, he looked at the little phonograph. By using bamboo needles, she could play it late at night. Soft. You know, so no one could hear it. The needle was worn down halfway, all all shredded as though it had been played over and over. Then his eyes wandered to a flat piece of paper that 
It had eight or ten shiny new dimes on it. Some had little brown flecks on them. Then his eyes went down to the rug. It was all pleated up in places, especially along the edges, as though something heavy, something, something lifeless had been dragged back and forth over it. You mean he danced with her after he killed her? Gave her a dime a dance even then? Now will you tell us? Who was her boyfriend? Play that record. Maybe she'll remember some guy they both knew who was hipped on the piece. It was the only one he played. She never had that record. Poor Butterfly, she hated it. She couldn't stand it. Someone brought that record here with him. Sure, someone did. Maybe her boyfriend, sort of. No boyfriend. It was someone who waited for her in that room in the dark and killed her before she could scream. It was the same madman who killed those two other dance hall girls. He pays a dime a dance. A dime a dance, whether you're alive or dead. at the grind. The flat feet let me go. Nobody told me anything. Sometime when you have nothing better to do, you try dancing with a couple of hundred guys a night, asking yourself each time one of them wraps his arms around you. Is this the killer? Has he a knife in his hand behind my back? Hey, uh, can I see you a minute? Got a ticket? Yeah, but I don't want to dance, Ginger. I want to talk. Well, it's your dime. Say, how do you know my name? Just happened to. Who are you, anyway? Recognize those two guys leaning against the wall? The two flat feet? And I'm the third. Nick's the name. What about Mer... uh, About her boyfriend? Relax. We have proof it wasn't her boyfriend and it wasn't you. Oh, then you expect him to show up again after what he's done already, huh? We just got the report on those other two girls. They were killed by a maniac who played poor butterfly. Also, the fingerprints in all three cases match. He'll keep it up until we get him. How do you know what he looks like? We don't. We only know he isn't through yet. That's why I was assigned to protect you. Protect me? Yep. <laughs> keep my eye on you all night while you work and then take you home right to your door. Now, uh, Marino knows about the other two dicks, but no one knows about me. In fact, his headquarters told me not to tell even you. Then why did you? <laughs> I just saw how touchy you are. I don't want you to misunderstand my attentions. Well, what if someone asks me who you are? I say I'm your new boyfriend. Oh, don't get smart. I never had a boyfriend. Good. Now you've got one. Oh, 35 girls on this musical chain gang. Why do you pick on me? Because we found out one more thing about the killer's habits. The two girls that were murdered before Julie both had red hair. Julie had red hair. Yeah. And so have you, baby. was set up as victim number four. Nice thought. But every night, like the milkman, just when the girls filed out to feast the arms and eyes of the wolves, there was Nick. Now, that was some comfort. Nothing personal, you understand. It was also a comfort to see those other two flat feet on the job night after night. How's Ginger? Fine. How's Nick? Hey, you're four minutes late. Miss me? Oh, I'm just a taxpayer that wants to see a public servant earn his money. (laughs) If the city got broke, I'd do this job for nothing. Uh Uh-oh. Your straw boss, Marino, is giving you the high sign. Oh, I'll go see what he wants. You wait here. It's on your mind, Marino. Say, who is that monkey hanging around you every night? Well, he pays for his tickets, doesn't he? Yeah, but he never uses them. Who is he? My boyfriend. Oh. You known him long? Long enough. Take care of yourself, Ginger. Don't worry, Marino. I know my way around, but thanks. Besides, we're not running any matrimonial fear around here. You gotta spread yourself around a little more. Share the wealth. There's other customers. All right, all now, right. Now watch her, will you? All right. What did what did he want? Oh, nothing. Nick, is there any news? You know it's a month since Julie. No, was... no, no, no. Calm down, Redhead. Yeah, that's just it. That red hair. Look, why won't you let me dye it? Oh, I've got my reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You great, big, silent, strong cop. (laughs) That's right. Those cops. And then came that night. That horrible night. 
I was late as usual, got to the dressing room, planning to dress in no seconds flat so I could get out on the floor and be with Nick. Somehow, I felt that I was going to need him that night. Some instinct told me it was a matter of life or death. It's been a whole month since the last one. What I like every once in a while is a good, juicy murder. Come on, slap it up. What do you think I pay you girls for anyway? Who are you looking out the door for, Ginger? Now, you take that killing of you. There was a real juicy kiss. Oh, shut up, Mom. Will you cut it out? Oh, I'm sorry, dearie. I keep forgetting you and she was so cruel. Well, that's all right. I'm jittery. Laverne, have you seen my boyfriend? Not tonight. Maybe he got bored. Billy, have you seen Nick? You know, the tall, handsome... Not tonight, redhead. I guess he's giving you the air. Come uh, on, come on off. What am I paying you for? Come on. What's the matter, Ginger? You look like you've seen a ghost. What are you looking for out there? What's so fascinating about the clock? Marino, they're not there. Where are those two flat feet? Don't you know about that? Never mind that now. Where are they? Called off. Called off? That sounds screwy to me, but police headquarters figures they frightened off whoever they was looking for. But that's crazy. I'm going to phone... I won't do no good. I told them that anybody would wait till it cooled off before trying again. Now is when we should have protection. Well, come on. Get out on the floor. Come on, Ollie. Out on the floor. All right. I'll be out in a second. Really, I will, Marino. Laverne. Yes, honey. As soon as Nick comes in, tell him to come right here. Tell him to tap on the door, will you? Sure enough, sugar. Hey. What are you looking at me like that for, Ginger? Look, Mom, I gotta talk to you. I can't go out there on the floor. I'm scared. But what are you staring holes in me for? Mom, you and I were here in this room the last night Julie was alive. The night she must have been killed, remember? You poor kid. I always Look, liked we you. gotta remember. We've just got to. There was someone dancing with Julie that night. Some rum-dum. Julie said something about him. I can't remember what it was she said. Oh, you mean the one that hurt her hand? That's it. That's it. Hurt her hand. Bent her wrist back when they were dancing. Yes, that's the guy. She said it was almost like as if he got a kick out of hurting her. Yeah. Seeing a squirm. Yeah, now what else? What else? Well, Julie called him a cement mixer. Oh, now we're getting somewhere, Mom. Think yeah. hard. Oh, he had Julie crazy dancing yeah. like a slap-happy pug. I remember her describing it. He'd take three little steps to the right as if he was getting ready for a standing broad jump. That was it. Remember how Julie said she felt like screaming for Pete's sake, if you're gonna jump, jump. Yeah, three steps to the right, and if you're gonna jump, jump. Hey, what are you doing, Ginger? Some detective work? Getting some clues? You know who we're talking about, Mom? The killer? Yeah. Oh! If he enjoyed hurting her like that, when she was still alive, he'd enjoy dancing with her after she was dead. Oh, he's worse than prune face. Why, that... There's someone I gotta tell this to right away. Oh, where the... Nick! See you later, Mom. Hey, how's Ginger? Oh, Nick. How's Nick? Are you trembling? Sure, it's me. Why not? I thought you were called off the case. We were. Then what are you doing here? Habit. Do you mind? No, you dumb ape. I don't mind. Boy, how I don't mind. And uh, as long as it isn't duty anymore, do you mind if I do something to you that I've wanted to do for days? Well, depends. I want to take you in my arms. All right, take me in your arms and dance. Anyway, for the time being. I'm a rotten dancer. You're telling me. Nick. Nick, we got to talk. I just found out something about the killer that you ought to know. Later. I paid Marina for all the dances to the end. We can leave whenever you want. After this song, they play Dinah, and then comes the break. We can leave then. What makes you so sure? Well, the band always plays the song in the same order. Then they can sleep while they work. I tell time by him. <laughs> Slimehouse Blues means it's 10.45. Lady with a Tramp means 11.15. Dinah means 11.30. Never changes except when there's a request number. You know, I like everything about you. I like everything about you, but you're dancing. Let up on my hand, will you? You're bending it upside down. It hurts my wrist. I, uh, told you I was a rotten dancer. Well, for Pete's sake, don't dance like you were priming for a standing broad jump. If you're going to jump, jump. <gasps> That's not Dinah. No. Certainly isn't. It's a request number. Who requested it? I did. What's the matter, baby? I look sick. I... I... I, I feel just awful. I, I... I do feel sick. Am I dancing that bad? No, no, I just, I... Nick, I'll have to stop at the air, I guess. I'll, I'm going to get a drink of water, yeah. Drink of water in the ladies' room. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. 
wait here for you. Oh, just a minute. Operator, operator, give me the police department, homicide squad. Police department, homicide, right away. Homicide. Hello, homicide. This is Ginger Allen at Joyland. The third man you assigned to our place is... Third the, man? Uh, what third man? Nick Ballister, the one you assigned to protect me. We have no Nick Ballister, and there was no man assigned by us to protect you. It's the killer. He's taking me out with him. I don't know where to... Look, I'll leave a trail of ticket stubs. Please come quick. Ginger. Uh, uh, goodbye, uh, Katie. Uh, sorry you couldn't work tonight. I'll, I'll fix it with Marino. How you feeling? You shouldn't have come in here, Nick. Didn't you see the sign? All that? Men keep out, violators subject to arrest? <laughs> Didn't say positively. Besides, they wouldn't arrest a cop. Why couldn't you leave me in here alone? You were gone so long, I thought something had happened. Nothing's happened. Yes? Don't ask me how, but I kept up a patter while we walked. All my brains were in my right hand to clutch those ticket stubs in my coat pocket. I kept dropping those stubs, making sure he didn't see. I tried to stay on the bright streets, but he led me to the lonely ones. The one we were on now was like a graveyard. No lights, no people. Suddenly, I felt my blood run cold. My fingers in that right-hand pocket fished around like a drowning man clutching for straws. The last ticket stub was gone. Ginger. Yes, Nick? I'm, uh, I'm hungry. Would you like some chop suey? Like it? Oh, I'd love it. He ate that chop suey with an appetite. Like a guy who had work to do. Work he was going to enjoy. I side-sneaked a glance at the jukebox without turning my head, you know, just my eyes. What a relief. All kinds of songs, but no poor butterfly. Nick was beginning to act nervous. He'd guzzle a cup of tea, pour another, keep looking over his shoulder like he was worried somebody might be following us. Then he'd grin like he used to and reach over for my hand. He pressed my fingers till they hurt. Hard, like he never pressed them before. I guess... I guess he couldn't wait... And suddenly he stood up. Ask the waiter of the check, Ginger. I'm just going to wash my hands. Then it's time we left. Hmm. Waiter. Waiter, quick. Yes, you in. What will he be? I'm leaving. When my boyfriend comes out, tell him you think I went back to the, the, the powder room. A gag, you know, he's a deadbeat. I want to shake him. Maybe don't understand. <gasps> Marino, how did you get here? Mom saw me, and I followed your ticket stops. He almost saw me. Come on, quick. Marino, thank heaven you got here. Hurry up. Marino, I, I can't run anymore. I'm, I won't last the block. You won't have to. There's a vacant house in the middle of the block. Here, inside. Fast, I think I see him coming. It's all dark in here. Well, no one lives here, that's why. Here, I'll light this searchlight. Yeah. There's a stairway leading upstairs. Oh. Go ahead. Now, watch it now. Don't trip them. Yeah. Stairs is broken. Yeah. Now, through this door. Ooh. Here's a candle and, and a match. Yeah. Now we can see each other and wait. Do you think we're safe? We'll know in a few minutes. Oh, Marino. Good job. Oh, damn. She put out the candle. Hide back there. I'll take care of him. Ginger. <gasps> Tim. All right, oh. you act for it. Oh. We'll see about that. Answer me. Answer me, please. Oh. 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 Oh.
Will. Oh, oh, why did you stop the music? You danced from the beginning of the record. Marino! Yeah. Yeah, Muriel. You think you could hide from me with different names and different faces? Marino! Why do you call me Muriel? What are you doing? I'm Ginger, don't you remember? I'm Ginger Allen. Yeah, each time you tell me a different name, Muriel. But you can't get away by changing names. Marino! Yeah, the first time you changed your name was when you married me before I left for Europe with that operetta company. You remember? You all got to play poor butterfly oh. when you promised to love me forever. Help me. Somebody help yeah, me. Yeah, well, the next time you changed oh. your name was when you thought I was dead. Lived on my insurance and married another man. Oh, please. No matter how many times please. you change your name, you're your law for it. No, not me. You killed her. You killed her, Marino, again and again. You only killed her last month, yeah, Marino. Each time I think I have, she rises again. This time I'm going to kill you and your lover. Oh. This is the last time. Oh, Nick! And now we dance. Now we dance. Oh. Here we go. The road you were How's Ginger? Oh, Nick. Oh, Nick. I thought he killed you. I got an awfully hard head. Police will be here in just a minute. Oh, Nick. How do you fit into this? Headquarters never heard of you. They were instructed to say that in case you called. Well, what was the idea scaring me to death? Well, I figured Marina would follow Ginger and her boyfriend once he thought the police were off the case. And when he did, I had to have you thinking I was the killer so you'd run off with him willingly. Why, you no good... It was the only way to find his hideout and the evidence we need. The phonograph, the record, and the attempted murder. At my expense, you big piece of... Uh, another thing. How'd you know about dancing like a broad jumper and turning up my wrist? Oh... I listened outside the door to you and Mom talking about that in the dressing room tonight. Oh. Gave me a couple of neat pointers. Yeah. I put them together with poor Butterfly so I could scare the daylights out of you. Well, you did, too. I ought to ring your... Oh, calm down. <laughs> no wife of mine is going to have a red-headed temper. Wife of yours? You'll do anything to learn how to dance, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks that way. No wonder you didn't want me to dye my hair. You wanted that nice premature gray color. From January of uh, 1944, an episode of Suspense, adapted from a short story by uh, Cornell Woolrich entitled Dime a Dance, and we had uh, Lucille Ball in uh, the lead role, uh, and um, who was that? It was uh, um, Hans Conry uh, played uh, Marino. Now, um, Lucille Ball was, did uh, serious roles, some very great film noir roles. Check her out in a movie called The Dark Corner from 1946. William Bendix is also in that movie. We'll have our second story uh, coming up. Let's have a little musical break. Keep us in that kind of film noir mode with Nat King Cole. Loved 
like a flower Then the petals fell
the, the Henry Mancini piece, Dreamsville. And before that, we had Nat King Cole with um, Blue Gardenia. You're listening to the Bedtime Radio Show for Grown-Ups, the show that grown-ups listen to at bedtime. And so I hope you're all snuggled in there as we get into our second story. From 1949, an, an NBC anthology show called the Screen Director's Playhouse or something. And so they do uh, radio adaptations of different movies. And so... Uh, this is an adaptation of the movie, The Night Has a Thousand Eyes, which was adapted from a novel, which was a novel that Cornell Woolrich actually expanded from a short story. So short story, novel, movie, and now we have radio adaptation of the movie. This is a sort of recreation of the movie because we've got both William Demarest and... Edward G. Robinson recreating their roles from the John Farrell production of The Night Has a Thousand Eyes. In the drawing room of a fine suburban home, a young man named Carson reads a strange manuscript while the company listens gravely and silently. My dear Carson, as you read this manuscript, I will be dead. No one is to blame. My death was as certain as all the other strange events I foresaw. Some of you who have seen me die will doubt this story and dismiss it as a series of contrived events and coincidences. But you, Carson, and some of the others will know that there are things on Earth still hidden from us, still secret and unfathomable. I suppose most men can look back and see the exact point where destiny touched them. My destiny came upon me on the night of August 3rd, 1929. I was billed as Triton, the mental wizard. Like most mind-reading acts, it was a phony, but a first-class phony. Jenny, my lovely fiance, had collected all the questions from the audience, and my good friend Whitney Cortland was ready for his part at the piano. Now, ladies and gentlemen, where I stand, I shall endeavor to read the questions which you have written and which are now unopened, mind you, in that glass bowl. Now, if I may have a little quiet music, Mr. Cortland. Let me see. I sense a name, a lady's name. Brian, no, by Byers. That's it, Byers. Uh, Clara Byers. Miss Byers asks a question. She wishes to know. She, uh, she. Something's wrong. There are disruptive impulses coming from the audience. A woman in a white dress, a little boy. Uh, uh, madam, uh, you there in the third row. Your little boy is in great danger. You must go home at once. At once! Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll continue where we left off. If I may have some quiet music, Mr. Cortland. The incident disturbed me. But then I forgot about it entirely until late that night when the telephone rang in my room. It was the woman calling to tell me that she had come home to find the boy's room in flames. She had arrived just in time to save the child's life. And I was worried, deeply worried, although not yet frightened. There were other incidents, one of them brought on by Courtney's usual concern about our economic situation. Well, kids, it's the same old story. Broke again. We could stand a little ready cash. Matter of fact, I'm going to put our last ten spot on ready cash in the fifth at Green Meadows. Ready cash? No, no, uh, not ready cash. He'll fall and have to be destroyed. Bear Gint. Bear Gint by two lengths. Ready cash fell and had to be destroyed. Bear Gint won by two lengths. It occurred to me that we might make fortunes this way. I didn't want to. It scared me. I began having a crazy feeling that by telling them, I was making the things come true. 
I began to wonder, would anything have happened if I'd kept quiet? And then one dismal rainy day, I had my chance to find out. I was coming out of the theater. A little boy recognized me and asked me for an autograph. And then he turned to skip away. Wait, son! I'd, I'd had a vision of a car skidding on the slick pavement. A wild cry. And then I thought, no, perhaps if I keep it to myself, it won't happen. Uh-oh, not, nothing, son. <laughs> Just run along now, run along. He went. A moment later... It was no use. After the boy's death, I knew I could foresee these events, but I was powerless to prevent their coming true. Look, Johnny, I just met a big oil man down in the lobby who wants us to come in on this, uh, this Comanche Hills oil field. Well, so what? Well, do you suppose you could get a hunch on a sporting proposition like that? Might make us a lot of money. Oh, no, no, it's no good, Court. We're washed up on hunches. Why, Johnny? Well, because I'm scared, Jenny, plain scared. I haven't had a very good feeling about it myself, Johnny. Well, all right. We'd better get down to the theater then and earn it the hard way. Curtain in 20 minutes. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, if you will all please concentrate on the sealed questions you have addressed to me, please. Uh, a little quiet music, Mr. Cortland. I'm concentrating on a particular envelope. Uh, young lady's handwriting. She, the young lady... The lady, uh... I looked at Jenny. Stared at Jenny, so beautiful, so... so fragile and desirable, and so much to me. I saw her and something else. Johnny! Bring down the curtain. Johnny, what's the matter? Bring down the curtain, I tell you. Bring down the curtain! <laughs> Are you sure you feel better now, Johnny? Oh, sure, Jenny. I, I, I just felt a little dizzy out there. <laughs> you sure had us worried there for a while. Hmm. Oh, Court. Yeah? Had a sort of a minor hunch about that uh, Comanche Hills oil proposition. Be one of the richest oil pools in the country. Make us all rich. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Johnny. Uh, now let's go out and eat. Oh, uh, you and Jenny go ahead. I'll join you later. Maybe it was the wrong decision. But I went away. What I'd seen that night on the stage had been Jenny's death. If I stayed, we'd be married and there'd be a child. The child would live, but Jenny wouldn't. I had to go away to save Jenny's life and save my own sanity. I knew Cortland would take care of Jenny and Comanche Hills Oil would take care of both of them. Yes, but I knew I had to get away from people, especially the people I loved. I went away. It didn't work. A year later, I heard that Jenny had married Cortland. She died when her daughter Jean was born. I read about it in Variety. Twenty years. I lived almost a hermit's life and had no more visions. This gift or the curse seemed to wither it from this use. And then after twenty years, on the night of Jean's debut, I stood outside in the crowd and I watched her go inside the fine hotel, holding tight to Court's arm. Jenny's daughter was lovely, and I was proud. I watched them disappear inside, and then after 20 years of peace, it happened. For a moment, I saw the image of wreckage, the smoking wreckage of an airplane, and then it was gone. 
What did it mean this time? But nothing happened. And I forgot about it completely for three months. And so one day in my shop, I turned on a small radio I just repaired. Now the 11.55 news brought by your Comanche oil reporter. New York, flying his converted army bomber, Whitney Cortland, multimillionaire president of Comanche Oil, took off from LaGuardia Airport early today in an attempt to smash the east-west transcontinental record. He and his pilot, former army flyer Richard Sims... No! It was Warren Jean. Miss Cortland, I'm... I'm sorry to force my way in here, but I have an extremely important message for your father. I'm sorry, but my father isn't here now. Now, see here, old man. I'm Miss Cortland's fiance. Miss Cortland... No, you've got to reach your father when he lands in Wichita to refuel. But why? You must halt the flight. Halt the flight? That's absurd. Why should father give up his flight? But if flight? he doesn't, this plane will crash. How do you know that? Oh, Miss Cortland, please. You're, you're wasting priceless time. All right, I'll call. But I'll ask you a lot of questions afterwards. I want to talk to Wichita, Kansas Airport. I haven't the number. You make a practice of predicting plane crashes? Oh, no. I'll wait, thank you. Maybe just the planes of very rich men. Oh, please. Perhaps you're betting that he doesn't beat the record. Hello. Hello, this is Whitney Cortland's daughter. When my father lands, have him call me immediately, will you? What? Oh, no. Oh, no! <laughs> radio had it a few minutes later. In an hour, the extras were on the street. The Comanche angel had crashed in Kansas. Both men were dead. You've been very kind helping me over these past few days, Mr. Triton. I'm so grateful. Your father was my best friend. But if you'd only warned us sooner, if... If you'd only known sooner. I don't think it would have made any difference. Mr. Triton, what's wrong? You have a new maid. Why, yes, why? You have a emerald bracelet. Yes. Get rid of the maid before the bracelet. Before. What? Please, tell me. Jean, it doesn't matter now. Why doesn't it matter? You mean... not... to me? You mean... I won't... need the bracelet? You... You mean I... I'm going to die too? Tell me! Yes. When? Soon? When? Before the end of the week, at night, under the stars. Remember, Carson, you went to the police. They told you, yes, there had been a John Triton mental wizard who pretended to be able to predict things back in the 20s. They sent a certain Detective Lieutenant Sean to investigate me where I was staying in Jean's house. My first interview with Sean in my little room under the eaves, far from reassure the good lieutenant, for even as I answered his bitter questions, the veil lifted again. And I saw... I saw. Hey, Triton, come out of it. Hey. I... I see a flower. Ah, drop it, Triton. Cut. A flower, crushed and broken. I hear a sudden wind shaking the windows. I hear a voice saying, there's no danger now. And I see her. Who? Jean. Lying under the stars and... 
beside her the paws and talons of a of a lion. A lion? Under the stars. Did you find out what time this happens to uh, to Miss Cortland? Tonight, as the clock strikes eleven. Lieutenant Sean was all for arresting me at once. The rest of you were tolerantly skeptical, which saved me for a while. Downstairs with Jean and you, Carson, were two gentlemen, a Mr. Gilman. Mr. Gilman, president of Mid-Tide Oil. Good evening, Mr. Triton. And a Mr. Myers, attorney for Cortland's estate. How do you do, Mr. Triton? Together, we sat down for the next two hours. Our lives were geared to the relentless machinery of the grandfather's clock that ticked away near the curtained archway. Frankly... I think this is ridiculous. Sitting around like this when we should be looking for a packet of missing options. I'm sure I'll find them, Mr. Myers. They'll be worth us in 36 hours. Gina, are you sure you can't remember where your father put those options? Please, Mr. Gilman. I'm much too upset. Well, the mid-tide merger can't go through without them. I suggest Jean be permitted to forget about big business while we all concentrate on... on... the clock, Mr. Carson. Shut up, Triton. Four. Five. Seven, eight, nine, ten. One down and one more hour to go. And so far nothing has materialized in your weird chain of events. A crushed flower indeed, a lion, a sudden wind. Anyone interested in the ten o'clock news? Here. Personally, I'm interested in the eleven o'clock news. Which was upset in a collision tonight at Wilshire and Zapulveda. The lion escaped. When a trailer Lion. Truck the Turn that off. Lion. Lock the doors. Lock the windows. Put out some lights. I'll lock up and go through the whole house. Thanks, Gilman. Well, there's the lion. We haven't heard a wind, or seen a crushed flower, or heard anyone say. Don't say no... it. Sorry. Hey, those carnations in that vase. Get them out. Carnations? Get them out. I don't believe any of this, but I'm taking no chances. I'll just let me take it. Careful now. Stand back. Don't anybody move. Ah, not a one crushed. That was a close one. Mr. Myers, huh? there's something sticking out under your foot. Something, huh? Lord. A carnation. Crushed and broken. That does it, Triton. No, not quite. Nothing final can happen until 11 o'clock. And it ain't going to happen because you're around. I'm taking you downtown until after 11. All right, Lieutenant, but it won't do any good. I'll be back at 11. Stand still, Triton. Relax. Yes, but I tell you, Sean, if you let me return to Jean's house, there's a chance I can use this power of mine to save her. You put on a good show, Triton. Only I ain't buying. Now, listen. You've a man on the cell here. His name is Amos Block. I see him in the cell now, a suicide. You don't say. Well, there's one I can check on. Hello. Quinn? Sean. How's Block doing? Uh-huh. Thanks. In his cell, playing solitaire. Well, nevertheless, I see him in it. Now I'm going to leave you with the boys here and go back to Miss Cortland's. Be good, huh? Fifteen minutes, too, Gene. Yes, yeah, everything is under control. It's uh, very copacetic. Ah! Oh, dear. Close that French window. Close it. I'll close it, Lieutenant. I thought Gilman took care of that. Where is Gilman, by the way? There. That does it all right. Sudden wind. Yeah. Ah! I'll get it. Yeah? Oh, yeah, Quinn? No. Amos Block hung himself in his cell, but he can't do that. That's suicide. Hey, look. 
I want Triton here before it strikes 11. I don't care how, but get him here. What time is it? Uh, 10.47. Oh, Lord, you made the night too long. Just one more minute to go, darling. 45 seconds. Oh. oh, Mr. Myers. Well, folks, you can forget the lion. I just killed it over at Bessrin Hospital. Oh, thank goodness. This is it, 11 o'clock. Elliot. Yeah? Back to back with me. Miss Cortland, get between us. Don't anybody move. I'll shoot the man who does. It's all over. Nothing's happened. Oh, Elliot. Elliot, darling. It's all history now, dear. Forget it. Elliot. Hmm? I'm, I'm going outside. I'll go with you. No. I want to get used to standing out under the stars again. Alone. And not being afraid. Thank you, dear. Thank you so much. All of you. I'll say this for Triton. He sure called his shots except that voice saying, there's no danger now. You just said it. Yeah, but it's too late now to mean anything. Ain't it? Sean. Come in, Professor, come in. Where is she? Where's Miss Cortland? Outside. You let her go outside? It's after 11. No, it's not. Look at that clock. That clock is wrong. It was right. Well, then it's been tampered with. I've got to go to her. Stop, Triton. Haul her out, shoot. It's too late for that after him. He mustn't get near Gene. Troubles are over now. There's no danger now. Eleven o'clock. And a voice saying, There's no danger. <gasps> he must have met you. No, oh, you don't. No, please. Gilman. Let go of her. Let go of her, you fool. There he is, Sean. Right. Get him. Plug them. But good. Gene, Gene, are you all right? Oh, Elliot. It's all right, Gene. You're safe now. Triton's dead. Triton? Dead? But it was Gilman who tried to kill me. Gilman. He didn't want those options found. But I didn't think he'd resort to murder. Oh, poor Mr. Gilman. He died to save me. But are you all right? My throat hurts. Elliot, hmm? look. Mr. Triton. He's, he's resting against the foot of that... that marble lion. Marble lion. Of course. And that, Carson, ends this dark diary. I foresaw everything, even my own death. And tonight at headquarters, I finished this diary. I left it in my pocket for you to find. Only time and the expanding wisdom of mankind will confirm the story in years to come. For there are reaches of the mind still undreamed of. And there are many mysteries of time and space and spirit to be shown to us. The stars look down, 
The night has a thousand eyes to search the soul of man and see if he is equal to his fathomless tomorrows. Where there are yet more things in heaven and earth than are dreamed of in our philosophy. And from the uh, NBC studios in Hollywood in 1949, an adaptation of the movie The Night Has a Thousand Eyes with uh, Edward G. Robinson and William Demerst, who were both in this uh, movie that had come out the year before, had been directed by John Farrell, based on a novel by uh, Cornell Woolrich. I couldn't help but notice that theremin in the background there. This is uh, 1949, like a year before the movie uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Maybe that's in production and the theremin is kicking around there in Hollywood. But of course, uh, NBC also did a show called Dimension X around this time. So maybe that counts for this great sort of fantasy uh, feel of this presentation. So uh, we'll be back again next month. Oh, um, at the top of the show, we did um, Diamond Dance, another Cornell Woolworth story, and that starred uh, Lucille Ball with also an appearance by Hans Connery in that production. I think uh, in this one, I think we recognize Dawes Butler's voice in there, along with Edward G. Robinson and William Demerst. Um, so we'll be back again next month with more Gremlin Time. Maybe certainly a scary story for October, so you might want to tune in then. And so uh, stay tuned. Um, this is Community Radio, KBOO Portland, and uh, Self Help Radio will be coming your way. And so until next time, uh, this is Fortunato saying, uh, This is Fortunato. Mm-hmm.